0: Hey, team. This is Corey Frills with the LTW Group, and uh, we are trying a new format today. Uh, I will introduce my good friend, Tommy Brandt, here in a moment. Um, He's a a friend of mine from what feels like a life ago um, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and um, was an engineer, now a real estate investor. We'll get into that. Uh, But I... um, Want to make myself feel important. So I have to continue with my typical market update. Um, and it's been a little bit since we talked to you. So, last time we talked uh, was the 24th of March, right after the Fed meeting. At that time, the average conventional um, rate was right under 6.375, uh, according to Optimal Blue, which is a um, pricing engine that prices 35% of all mortgages in the United States. And today we sit right around 6.4. So we're just a little higher uh, with a good deal of drama in between. So um, some things that have happened, we had our Fed meeting, which which went about as expected. Um, We had producer price index come in better, which is a wholesale measure of inflation, come in much better than expected in fall. uh, The headline number fell quite a bit. Um, to 5%, which is uh, a pretty big drop in the high watermark was around 11. Uh, so nice progress there. Uh, the core rate of the PPI inflation number did not come in much better than expected. Um, and actually was a little higher uh, on a year over year basis, which the core rate is what the Federal Reserve um, can control. So it strips out uh, food and energy and, and just looks at the things that they control by rate hikes. So um, all in all, inflation data is coming in a little better. And then, and so we'll see rates trend down and follow inflation data. And then you'll have a Fed member come out and start talking trash and rates will rise back up. So um we've been saying for a long time, circle May 10th on your calendar. We still believe that rates will will probably land in the mid to low fives by third or fourth quarter, and the real meaningful um um Meaningful progress will begin uh, around the 10th of May with the CPI reading. It should be very helpful uh, for bonds. So CPI, if you remember, is consumer price index. That's the consumer level of inflation. And so, uh, for several reasons that I don't want to waste time on today, uh, we believe that number will come in better because of comparisons. So hang in there. We do think that rates are on the on the on the downward trend. We are busier than we've been in a long time on our side, which is good. I mean, for perspective, we closed 19 loans in January, 18 loans in February, had 30 in March, which was the best in a while. And we already have 30 on the books for May with another week and a half to go. So we're enjoying seeing this progress and already seeing, already seeing, um, uh, multiple offers. I wrote two letters on the same house last weekend, which I hadn't done since the summer of 22. Uh, so things are getting better. Hang in there, and they will continue to get better um, throughout. So that is going to lead well into introduction to my friend, Tommy Brandt. So Tommy and I um, worked out at the same gym together back in probably 2010 to two thousand. 13 14 maybe
1: once upon a time yeah i think that that's when we started and then i think we were both there for a couple of years
0: yeah so um at that time i was graduating college tommy was fresh out and and into engineering world and um and i moved to knoxville in 2014 and um of course we know uh I started a mortgage here and then Tommy went on his own route there. Um, and so we just reconnected last week and um, wanted to take a moment to um, introduce him. So, Tommy's former engineer, now real estate investor. Tell us about what you're up to, Tommy.
1: Yeah, yeah, Corey, thanks for having me, man. I'm uh, excited to be here. Uh, I, I feel like we got uh, your, you know, reunited siblings on Facebook after many decades of being apart. So it it, it feels that way anyway. So we're we're back now. Yes. So cool, cool. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, so as, as Corey mentioned, yeah, uh, uh, a, a joke that I'm still recovering. Uh, electrical engineer, now turned full time real estate investor, and so in the engineering space, I spent 12 years with the same company and. Product support, sales, and operations, and thankfully, that a lot of those skills are transferable to now being full-time real estate investor. And uh, you know, it's, I think, uh, Corey, do you want to just kind of jump into kind of how how I got started? Oh, uh, um, that, that typically would be- the the first question, but it's it's your show.
0: No, this is let's hear it. Let's hear um, what led sure. you out of engineering and if into.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. Appreciate the the opportunity here. So, you know, growing up, um, my my story is probably not much different than everyone else's. And, and I think that we we tend to be products of our environment, if you will. And so growing up, the narrative that was fed to me was go to school, get good grades, get a good job, work till you're 65, retire and then fly off into the sunset and that, uh, you know, enjoy your life somewhere and then there. And so I was like, okay, well, um, all right. Uh, so that's, that's what I did. Um, you know, uh, I was, I was halfway through Georgia tech for an engineering degree and I really kind of stumbled into the real estate arena and, um, you know, grateful that I did, but I was looking, I was a sophomore in college looking for a summer job and I worked for a general contractor and he was the primary servicer for, you know, probably over a thousand pads in middle Georgia, um, mobile home pads. And so we did everything. And so, you know, exterior, interior, we did on the exterior, you know, there's there's landscaping, there's lawn care, there's uh, pressure washing. On the interior side, there's, there's cleaning, renovations, rehab, um, and we also did the cleaning as well. And so, uh, you know, getting things rent ready, basically, um, from soup to nuts on that. And so, but about 15% of the product we serviced was post-eviction. And so you're coming into some of these places, and it's just trash. There's there's clothes everywhere. There's tra- open trash bags of stuff. There's used diapers thrown in the corner, just piling up. Um, you know the utilities have been cut off for weeks, and you're playing the game of who's going to open the fridge? Not it. And so, but it's it's your it's your it's that that was what we would walk into. And so that did two things for me, Corey. So the first thing that that did was you know that built a lot of character. You know, you can never have too much of that. So that definitely, (laughs) definitely happened. Uh, The second thing that that did was, you know, as as a 20 year old, that gave me the ability to see past the clutter and understand what the finished product looks like. Have the vision, not be scared by the cat pee smell whenever you're walking into some of these houses, because it can be a real gym by the time that you're done with it. Sure. And so uh, fast forward a little bit, it's 2011, I've graduated college, I've, I've got a couple years worth of savings as an engineer, and uh, and I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on HGTV and, and Homes on Homes and all these flip shows, and I decide uh, that I want a project. And so uh, I go and I find a house that's a short sale in a suburb of Nashville, it's on the southeast side, um, Smyrna, you know, Corey, I know you, would, you know where that is. So I bought a house that was a short sale. Um, and it's a, it's a four bed, two bath garage, uh, four bed, two bath attached garage. And it had in-ground pool in the back and a pool house. And man, doesn't it sound great? Oh yeah. Uh, let's peel back that some of the a, layers. That was
0: legendary place. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's peel back some of the layers of that place. And, uh, so the, the pool, um, that probably catches a lot of people's attention. The pool was just solid black, just solid black. You couldn't put your hand in there and, and see the back of your hand um and the pool houses had no foundation we literally pushed them over uh there was a nice bulge in the ceiling uh where there was a roof leak and uh there was oh by the way there was 15 foot joist instead of 12 foot joist so we had to structurally support some areas of the house so that it would quit sinking in so um and then oh yeah every square inch needed to be updated from 1979 so that was my project and I wanted an outlet of my, my spare time and my energy as a mid something 20 year old. Um, So I got a roommate to pay the mortgage and then I saved up every year for major CapEx projects. So, you know, exterior, interior, kitchen, um, paint flooring, all that stuff. Um, And so, but uh, what's, what's funny is about like the two or three year mark. uh, I get a letter from the city that says, uh, you know, they just did a, a tax appraisal. They said, Hey, here's, Here's what we think your house is worth. Here's your new tax bill, right? Pretty standard for for homeowners that have that experience. And so, um, but based on the new evaluation of the home that the city gave me versus what I paid, um, you know, my equity in the home had doubled. Right, and so that that did a couple things, um, as you might imagine. Uh, I definitely felt a lot of things right there, and and it was probably like everything on the entire emotion spectrum. Um, so on on one hand, I'm ecstatic. I'm like, all right, you know, this is super sweet. I'm justified in my decision to buy in this market in this neighborhood. I'm justified in all this money I'm doing for the improvements of the home. And on the other side of it, I'm devastated because, like, my narrative that I grew up with of Go to school, get good grades, get a good job, work geo sixty five, fly off in the sunset. Um, it was kind of kind of shattered, right? And it's just like, you know, that like, hey, that's that's not the only way to make money and secure your your financial freedom and well-being. Like there's other avenues to it. Um, there's other ways to, you know, diversify your portfolio and income. And um, and so I, I really started to rethink what I thought I knew. Um, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, kind of got, oh, that's got a, a good one. Yeah, I got a grip with you know just the, the, my mindset around money in general, sure. right? You know how 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 wealth and income can be diversified and and created and forced and depending on the asset class you're investing pre- preserved, right? Um, and so that was um, that was an evolution period for me, and so I started to ask the questions of maybe I don't need to wait till I'm 65 to sure. retire. Maybe I you know what what, what year, would my goals be? Where did
0: you buy that house, Tommy? I bought it in
1: 2011.
0: Okay, so so we're at twenty eleven. You're like, you're two years from the brink, two and a half years from 08.
1: Yeah, but, I probably look like a genius because that's right. That's right at the kind of the the trough timing, of the dip. Right? Stuff's going up yeah, yeah, explosively yeah. all over the nation. You know. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I mean that. So so timing was fortuitous. Did you do, um did you do a lot of, of the work yourself or did you hire it out or
1: first couple of years? I was like, yeah, this is fun. I got something to come home to. Um, And, and it was very cyclical. Like if, uh, I don't know if you got, the people watching the video, um, I'd be super motivated for three months and they just burnt out for three months. And so, um, there, there was one bathroom where I was cleaning the tub and my foot went through the floor and through the subfloor. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, this is priority one. Um, <laughs> and so that was, you know, that took me six months because after the first two months, I was just like, dude, I just don't want to be in this bathroom anymore. I got a whole house of stuff to fix up. Let me just do other stuff. Let me, you know, something distract me, please. Um, so they, you know, I, I did, I did a lot of it, but once it came to like the last, you know, the latter end of the the stretch, I was just like, let me just get someone else to do it. It's not worth my time. It's not my superpower. I thought I wanted to do this. I didn't. Um, so a lot of lessons learned along the way.
0: I, um, uh, I read rich dad, poor dad, between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college. And I've read it two or three times since just, it's so funny how when you read a book at a different season of life, how it, mm-hmm. you know, different parts kind of jump out at you. Um, and and I think a lot of people, and I would too, I, if when I read that book today, it feels a little um, unrealistic for what I'm doing in in my yeah. life. But I remember the first time I read it, how it just completely flip my understanding and my narrative of money, you know. And I remember in Rich Dad poor Dad where where they he's trying to teach the boys how to go make money and they literally go and create like coins, you know, <laughs> so they take cans and melt them down and they create coins out of nothing. They're like, hey, that's uh illegal, but I you you got the idea you're creating something from nothing and um you know, this idea that, that money is really just a, it's just a game, you know, it's not, it's not this, um, it, it, it's money is made up. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's no, there's no gold, you know, standard anymore. This is, this Mm -hmm. is something that we, money is what we agree it is. And we exchange value based on what we agree, uh, it's worth. And, um, I remember that being huge for me, you know, um, growing up too. So that's, uh, uh, it's cool, though. do you ever do that? Do you read books like multiple times and the different like if you read it a different time, it kind of hits you somewhere different. Uh, I,
1: I reread. Um, well, there, there's like four to five books that I reread every year, and, and in like Q4 to like you know get around get my mindset around goal setting and you know my goals and where do I want to be and what do I need to focus on and and then kind of annually resetting. Um, but yeah, I, I reread all the time. I'm, I'm about sixty books a year. Kind at, the, where I'm
0: at, audio book or like paper?
1: It's got to be audio. If yeah. if it's um if it's super listy and has good reference information, I'll I'll buy the physical version. But my my first pass on any book is through audio. Yeah,
0: you retain pretty well.
1: I will retain, but I also have like a lessons learned log, um, just tons of places I take notes. I, I do a monthly book summary of stuff that I'm reading too for anything that's probably good for you know anyone in my network. Um, so I, I try to I find that regurgitating. Is is how I learn. So I, I try yeah, to always take notes. That
0: makes sense. I like that. Okay. All right. So I interrupted the origin story. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to take us back to where I understand we are. Um you you have successfully survived your first um owner-occupied flip, if you will. Yeah. And um, and now you're seeing that um creating, you know, six figures in equity in a in a few years, probably, is uh is a lot faster than putting away what's now 20,000 a year into a 401k forever and hoping that things go up. Is that, yeah. is that where we are? Is that fair?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, for, for me, um, the, uh, the question I ask myself, I, I love asking myself this question of what's the, what's the difference between a person that makes a million dollars a year and a hundred thousand dollars a year, you know, it's not time. Everyone's got those same twenty-four hours in a day, and so you know that all—all these questions that uh, just kind of stemmed from um, this one little uh, tax appraisal (laughs) in the mail. So um, you know, fast forward, I'm still grinding at work, chasing that six-figure income. You know, constantly educating, habit engineering, networking, going to conferences, meetups, um, happy hours, uh, lunches, lunch and learns, all that stuff. Um, so fast forward, um, we liquidated that property, bought a couple of single family homes to use as rentals, um, paused after that, realized that single like with without the opportunity to scale, I really wasn't getting to my goal in a timeline that I wanted. So my conclusion was um I needed to scale my investment better. So that led me to small multifamily, that led me to commercial multifamily, larger multifamily. Um, that led me to syndication. And what is syndication and, and the fact that, you know, I can own, you know part of part of um you know a 50 unit or 100 unit or 200 unit complex and have someone else run the deal or or you know I you know someone else run it with me um joint venture on, on larger stuff and so that that really opened my eyes as far as like scaling goes you know the sky's the limit kinda. so um that was that was really eye-opening and so um today I've got uh you know three sequel family homes I've invested in four different syndications uh, some apartments some new development some storage. Um, I've got a short-term rental in Florida. Um, so four hundred units, another two hundred to be developed. And then I don't count any of the units from the storage fund because it's across like three properties and eight hundred units. so
0: two hundred under development?
1: Yep, yeah, it's a build to rent community in uh, Manchester, actually.
0: At, at what point did you um at what point did you decide to piece out on the on the safe w two job that you paid a lot of money to go to Georgia Tech to? And, uh, what did, what did people influential in your life have to say about that? Just
1: curious. You know, um, well, I guess entrepreneurship kind of runs in my family, um, between my mom and my brother. And so, you know, I think they're, they're happy for me. Um, they probably, you know, didn't know, you know, if we were financially okay to, to do that. And, and, you know, thankfully we were, um, and so we, we just had a lot of proceeds because by the time that we sold our house, we owed nothing on it. So nice little nugget from that. Um, so uh, and and part of it was, you know, a little bit of faith, right. Going full-time into mm-hmm. real estate. Cause my, my, if I can get personal for a second, my gross income, you know, uh, was my gross in, uh, income from real estate, um, assets and things like that was offset, like that offset my engineer's salary. You know, my wife still works. We don't have kids. My appetite for risk looks a lot different than a single mom with four mouths to feed, you know? So, um, the idea was if there's, you know, let's, let's see what, let's just lean really heavily into this and see what life looks like. Um, you know, if there was a way for me to work part-time, I would have, you know, I would have liked to just kind of slowly transition into, uh, you know, full-time real estate. And, um, but for, for what I was doing it's way too specialized and they, they needed me there 60 hours a week. And I was just like, well, um, it's not sustainable for me and it doesn't align with where I want to be in a couple of years. So, um, I'm just gonna, jump. And, you know, the, have you, uh, what is it? Um, Tim Ferriss, he, he does like negative goal setting, like fear setting fear um,
0: is what I like to, uh, yeah. Really yeah.
1: And so I, I started to ask the questions of, you know, what's, what's the worst thing that could happen if I'm not successful and, and, you know, replacing my, my income as a seller, or my uh, engineer's income. And, uh, and it's like, I'm not going to die. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go to jail. You know, worst, worst case scenario is I go back to work. Yeah. Right. And so uh, we're we're coming close on the two year mark for us. And um, the, the pipeline for our acquisitions is actually pretty encouraging. Um, I think anyone that's been following the line of commercial loans realizes that they're short term loans and that there's a lot that's going to mature this year. Um, and so there's going to be people that are going to be in trouble. And uh, I'm I'm hoping that this is one of the biggest buying opportunities in commercial real estate over the next six to 18 months.
0: So. I want to I want to chase this down. This is why I didn't want a strict agenda here because I knew there would be some nuggets (laughs) that because this is something that I've been saying and been writing about uh, for the folks that you know the the two people that read my uh, my emails (laughs) that that I send. um, You know, a couple of things in today's economy have have given me pause. One is the inverted yield curve. And a banks ability to operate in such conditions. Um, so, and you guys that read my stuff that have heard me talk about this inverted yield curve means that if you go to the bank, they'll pay you more on a 24 month CD than they will on a five year CD. That shouldn't be, you, you should be, uh, you should be credited more interest for giving them your money for longer um, but it's it's because of some dynamics in the in, in global markets causing that, and and not the least of which, and, and I would have a hard time believing it's not the greatest factor, is the Federal Reserve raising short ultra short term rates so fast. So inverted yield curves very bad for banks, um, and that's been one challenge. The other challenge, and I really haven't heard anyone talk about this, and In any kind of like CNBC, I don't even like to use the word mainstream media because it's become like political, you know, Mm -hmm. just talking about uh, reputable news channels, if there are such, right? I haven't seen a whole lot of conversation around um, commercial debt in general, and that includes, Mm -hmm. um, to me, that would include multifamily lending, and that is that what Tommy just said. In 2020, I'd taken a a brief hiatus from mortgage lending and worked in private wealth management at a a regional bank. And I remember both on the commercial side and on my side, commercial being um, people define commercial differently, right? So commercial, commercial, like big businesses borrowing hundreds of millions of dollars, but also commercial can be used in some of the lending that we did um, And the bank of just like to consumers, but not like a 30 year fixed loan. These are loans that are fixed for one to three to five years. And then we get together and renegotiate. Um, so commercial lending, um, I I remember seeing a lot of debt being funded at under 2% for hundreds of millions of dollars. And it was being locked for one to three years. Mm -hmm. And we're three years out of 2020 now. And so, um, I, I want to chase this rabbit a little bit, Tommy, if you will. I mean, what are what are you yeah. seeing on your side um, that that kind of alerted you to this? I'll, I want you to answer that one and then, um, forgive me, but there's a back-end part of it that you may, if you want to start with this one, you can. If you have this debt adjust, um, and the idea, guys, is, is that, you know, somebody undertook a project on a multifamily and the project made sense at 3%. Right, you could you could cash flow, you could make money at three percent. Um, that rate's about to go to six, and it doesn't cash flow at six anymore. So, so that's a basic theme for for my audience, and and I'll mm-hmm. let Tommy um, poke holes in that because this is his this is your sphere, buddy. But um, that's a basic theme. One, what are you seeing? Two, um, how do you how do you overcome? Because you do you have, do you not have the same cost of capital?
1: so carry on. I want, I want to be friends with people that have a different cost of capital than me. <laughs> <laughs> I people, love that. People, people that just have so much cash and are like, yeah, you know, just give me, give me two or 3% on the, on my money. I'm good. Um, it, it, when you start talking like international, um, money, people are just like, I'll, I'll take, you know, just don't let it burn in my pocket. Like, you know, because there's other countries around the world that are facing 50% inflation. And, and then we think we got it bad, but like they, you know, the money that they make every week is just worthless, you know, and more worthless than the last week. And, um, and so there's all these countries that are just like, you mean I can invest in something and it won't lose value. You know, like how do I, how do I find that investor that wants 0% return? <laughs> right. Yep. So, uh, but anyway, sorry, tangent. Um, yeah. And so the, what, what's been interesting and in this, Hey, so to your question of what what alerted me to uh, kind of the, the debt evaluations, and I'll speak specifically on multifamily, but um, office, office is going to have a hard time. Office is going to have the hardest time out of everything. Um, there's $1.5 trillion in debt of office space that's maturing this year. Um, they're already suffering vacancy issues because all this hybrid work models where the brokers are bullish that, Hey, people are going to go back to the office. It's like, you know, people are about half the time, maybe 40% of the week, you know, people will be in a big office, right? You know, small business office is different, um, can be, but office, office is in, um, they're in tough shape. Um, you'll probably see some conversions come out of office space. There's already been office converted to storage or office converted to industrial classified as a remodel. So you don't have to do a teardown. And, um, it is interesting. And that's been for, for decades, so, you know, conversion of real estate, whenever it falls in value, has been you know known, um, or, or, you know, the other way too. So if things appreciates greatly in, in real estate, you can do an apartment conversion to condos and sell yeah. individual condos, right? That, you know, so the conversions, I mean, it'll, probably happen again in the office space arena uh, to what i i'm I'm interested to see so who knows um but what alerted me to uh you know let's go back to multifamily um and and it's pretty public record um you know i I, I would go to several conferences a year and i'm in a couple different mastermind groups and so there's there's really no secret about what's what's looming ahead um and, uh, you know, 70% of all debt that originated in 21, um, which is about half a billion dollars for multifamily specifically, um, was variable rate. And the probably, you know, even a smaller percentage of that debt, you know, bought interest rate caps. So they said, hey, we know we got a variable rate product. We want to buy insurance that says if it ever goes above this rate, you know, some insurance provider you pays us. Swap. The, uh, an interest rate cap. Okay for uh, for commercial loans. And so um
0: what vehicle I'm what sure I'm asking is well. uh
1: is- it, the largely debt funds. Yeah. So you know people that have you know nine nine figures worth of cash to to lend out on um you know according to the sofer curve. Um and so the, the the idea there is that there's there's all this debt out there because i you know my opinion i think the lenders are playing chess while the buyers play checkers mm-hmm. um and so knowing that there was going to be you know not another environment unless the fed did something that Debt was ever going to be this cheap, and so people are going to have a hard time refinancing. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, by the way, the the people that are lending probably are one call away from you know having a, a full team to take over this asset. So um, predatory lending is very much a thing in the commercial space, even not not for just the entire asset, but even like preferred equity groups. Um, they're, they're coming in, uh, to these distressed assets, um, saying, Hey, we'll inject you with some capital, but if you don't read the fine print, you know, you'll, you'll notice that there, you know, we're going to foreclose on you based off of your performance, which is already, you know, not hitting our metrics. And so there's people that are, you know, predatory lending groups that are, you know, injecting $10 million into a hundred million dollar asset. They're foreclosing on the primary ownership team. And they're kicking the investors out, and they're saying, "All right, this is ours now," you know. So, like, read, they're, they're yeah, it's, it's very much a thing. Um, be, be aware and read all the fine print. Run everything past your real estate attorneys, and don't cheap out on that type of stuff. So, yeah. Well, um, but uh, and, and yeah, so in 2020 and 2021, the 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 capital from the debt funds was it, we started to see it be cheaper than anything that was in the market. So agency couldn't compete, small banks couldn't compete. And so if you're just trying to buy for cash flow, all these products from the debt funds were superior to what was in the market. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it gets to the question of, do I just not do deals for two years because I want fixed rate loans? Um, and so a lot of people, they, they wanted to play, but if they're in a good market that has, you know, good fundamentals, population growth, job growth, um, what have you, they're, they're probably fine, but there's going to be a lot of people where that loan matures And what we're seeing now in the industry, because these are syndications where you have an active ownership team and passive investors, um, is people are pausing distributions to buy those, um, you know, those four and fifth year extensions or those third, fourth, fifth year extensions too, but you also have to buy the rate cap for those extensions too. And so, um, something, and, and we're talking like 20 X multipliers on what they cost two years ago versus today. So someone showed me specifically that there was a, a rate cap that they bought for a loan in 2020, um, is $50,000 dirt cheap. Right, that you know that that pays for itself every month, but it's coming to maturity, and the new rate cap that they had to buy is eight hundred ninety thousand sure. yeah. dollars. that's not that's not capex to improve the property. That's just like bottom line, like like getting electrocuted. Like let me hold on to this this product, really this asset. Um, and so people are pausing distributions. People are doing capital calls. Groups mm-hmm. are doing capital calls where they say, hey, we you know group, we need you know eight percent of the asset amount you know raised collectively amongst the investors. Um, the general partners are putting in this amount. We're asking the you know, limited partners, the investors, to put in this amount, um, and that's where your shares can get diluted and, and all this other stuff. So the capital call in the syndication space is like the the big no no, the, the thing that you want to avoid at all times. But um, there's the, they're doing capital calls to just buy the rate cap. They're doing capital calls to do cash in refinances to just say get me off of this adjustable rate crap. I need to get on something fixed. You know, assuming they can cash flow in this new interest rate environment. Um, And, uh, you know, there was was one group where everything went wrong and there was like a 200 unit portfolio in Houston that got foreclosed upon because um, their investors didn't reinvest on on the capital call. They didn't start pausing distributions as soon as they should have. And they didn't buy an interest rate cap. And so their debt every month was getting more expensive, um, especially last year when the, the Fed was making their decisions every month. And so they got foreclosed on several, several investors lost, lost their capital. Um, And then some group in New York bought it for 13% off the LTV uh, of what it was. And so um, my, my goal is I'd like to buy a, a, you know, a huge property at auction one day. (laughs) We'll see see if I can compete with those guys in New York, but um, yeah. All right. So
0: you said predatory lending, if you're a predatory lender, uh, if, if you've got predatory lenders out there, they see a troubled asset, and 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 actually probably seek out troubled assets, right? Um, I mean, they didn't. They don't do. They're they're not predatory to lose money. So, um, are they taking on, you know, like a low LTV deal that just still doesn't cash flow, and going to try and make some money when when they foreclose and sell it? or are they are they, is it or is it almost like a backdoor acquisition strategy for their own portfolios? Like, hey, I can go in and buy this for a fifty LTV make this mortgage and and then foreclose and and retain it myself. Have you seen any of that and which direction they want to go?
1: Uh, Not, not personally. You know, if I'm on the outside looking in, they, you know, any, any group would sign on. Uh, any any lender would only really sign on to that for to to do something temporary right so they're 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 bringing in a preferred equity group instead of asking their investors to do something so that's probably to do a cash in refinance that's probably to get a different debt product that's fixed rate um that you know I can't imagine it's just hey can you just help us with reserves can you just bring 10 million and let it sit in a reserve account like it's it's to take action of some sort um and so the yeah it's it's pretty interesting, but I, I'm not able to fully answer your question, but that's just what I'm seeing.
0: Yeah. I'm just thinking the motivations of a, of a predatory lender. And are they, at the end of the day, are they doing it to buy and hold the properties themselves or hope to turn them? Uh, because we used to have these in, in mortgage world before 08. You had, um, uh, what's the term? They used to call these collateral loans, basically, right? So no, that's where we get the ATR, ability to repay rule. That's why, you know, someday, sometimes still today and right now all kinds of buyers are coming out of the woodwork that you're like, where have you been for 20 years? (laughs) Um, But they, they'll be like, I don't understand why you need all this. I'm putting 60% down, 70% down. Um, And and the reason is we have the ability to repay rule. And that's a, that's something that came out of Dodd-Frank and you have to show that uh, that a buyer has multiple forms of repayment one of which is the collateral right I mean you could sell it and pay off the loan but you got to have something else which is some sort of cash flow right so because back in the day you would have predatory lenders that are like sure I'll make you that loan at 50 LTV and you have no you have no ability to pay it back and there would be, um, you have a prepay before a balloon, you know, like a prepayment penalty before the balloon and the the loan balloons, and they just take the property, and that was the yeah. strategy, right? So, um, I'm curious to see kind of how it plays out. So, all right, so let's let's roll into the back part of that question. If you run into a troubled asset that's in trouble because the rate adjusted and it's not cash flowing anymore, um, go back to that. How do you take advantage of that when at least the cost of capital readily available to the population is is pretty standard, right? How do you take advantage of that as a syndicator?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there has to be a discount somewhere, right? Especially it's and I'll I'll speak briefly on the difference between residential and commercial and how it's valued. Um, so on the residential side, everyone probably knows this, uh, you know, the appraiser is going to say, what's your, what's your neighbor's house look like? What did it sell for? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, based on your finishes plus or minus, here's what we think your house is worth on the commercial side. It's based off of, you know, profitability. These are, these are business loans basically. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's based off of what is your top line income minus your expenses. And then every market has its own cap rate, capitalization rate. I call it a, um, A desirability multiplier, right? So if you're in a really great market, you know, you multiply your income by some number. Um, so if you're in a, for example, a five cap, um, that is a 20 multiplier, right? So if I'm in a you know, if I make a hundred thousand uh a year uh in in NOI net operating income, which is my profit, and I'm in a five cap market times twenty, my property is worth, you know, uh two million dollars, twenty million, no, two million um dollars. And so that's anyways, so you have those factors. So Pin, you know based on the property's cash flow i'm going to evaluate cuz i'm a cash flow buyer so based on that evaluation um do i have to am i walking into where i need to evict half the place because people have been living for free for so long like give me a i need more discount um because i got to raise that for my investors to pay for the reserves and you know all this stuff while we're dealing with non paying tenants um so based on the business plan really that that affects a lot um current status of the property. So the property that got foreclosed upon in, in Houston, if that's um if that was hundred percent physical occupancy and hundred percent economic occupancy, um, you know, you could have come paying pretty close to market um if it wasn't foreclosed upon, but obviously it, it just they couldn't support the debt there. So um r- remind me of the question, where where do we go from here? So
0: so really you're saying that there's got to be a there's got to be a discount in there somewhere because the cost of capital is pretty standard across markets. And then I would say even investors now. I mean, you know, I mean, I'll pull up a, a. I can put money in a in a short term treasury. You know, one year treasury is going to yield me 478. So, yeah.
1: four seventy eight. So four week T bill is almost four.
0: Right. So it's 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 probably. It's going to be challenging to get investors to buy in under that capital rate, unless you know they. I guess they would have to do that. Not just debt financiers, right? These are people that want ownership and appreciation and cash flow mm-hmm. on top of that, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so it's it's uh the, the I mean, what's funny is like if I was when I was just looking at um, residential investing, I was like just one metric. You know, what is my cash on cash? you know, and, and what does that look like? And, and so now that I'm in commercial, I'm just like, God, you need like five numbers to, to come to a conclusion. Yeah. Like what's your internal rate of return? What's your holding period? What's your cash on cash, your equity multiple. And all of that means nothing until, you know, the holding period, you know, how long are you holding this for? Cause number man, numbers can be manipulated, uh, like crazy. And so, um, if someone's saying, and, and I mean, just take the example of, um, doubling your money where I said, Corey, you know, um, if you gave me 50 bucks and I doubled your money, you know, how, you know, how would that look? And so you'd be like, Oh man, I'd, I'd love an extra $50. Um, and then what if I said, uh, I'd, I'd give it to you over the course of 72 years, right? That's, that's 1% annualized returns. If I, if I double your money in, in six years, that's 12% annualized returns. Um, so just like, there, there's so many factors you need to be aware of, um, whenever it comes to, you know, in, investing as a, in an asset.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's awesome. Well, Hey, Tommy, thank you for taking time to, to, Come on and hang out and talk shop with us. This is not something that uh, that we step into a lot, um, although it is uh, going to be a factor. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I think I was talking to a, a, a realtor that we work with, who's also a, a contractor and an investor, and she and I were on the phone last week, and she said, "You know, where, where do you think the opportunity is?" And, and one of the places, well, I think the theme is inventory creation right? Because I think your demographics are, are a strong tailwind. We just don't have anywhere to put them. And then you hit on the, the condo conversion, which we've done a lot of, um, that's how Lisa, uh, my, my partner and, and our uh, fearless leader, uh, got her start in the business was condo conversions here in, in downtown Knoxville. So, um, and that was, that was back in the, in the 08 days, um, you know, part of that. So she had been a little gotcha. longer than that, but that was a big piece. So I, I am interested in that piece and in the inventory creation piece and conversions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really appreciate it. If people want to get in contact with you, what's the best f- way for them to reach out to you?
1: Sure. Yeah. I appreciate that, Corey. I, I really appreciate the dialogue that we had. It, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I'll preface that question with, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of people that have given me um you know sacrifice their their time to have coffee with me coach me mentor me um and so i wanted a way to give back and so i wrote a book called the passive investors guide to the multifamily universe and that's on a website tbcapitalgroup.com um so it's a free download i don't monetize that at all and so um but that would that i'm being an engineer it is very data driven uh around you know just why i like apartments what are different investment strategies and, and that sort of thing so
0: tbcapital.com
1: tbcapitalgroup.com
0: tbcapitalgroup.com guys so um and then uh, we'll put that in the notes uh of the podcast too so people can access that but um any any parting words that you just are jumping out of you that you just are like man i wish we would have talked about this before we jump out
1: no, no, no. We I, I I loved our discussion. I wouldn't take it back for the world.
0: <laughs> well, let's uh let's do it again. And, and there's a lot that we did get to. Um and we can we can touch on short-term rentals. And uh both both you and I have talked offline about our uh, learning curve with short-term rentals and how that's been. Uh so we can do that another time. But again, thank you for your time, Tommy. I appreciate you and um uh, for 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 our listeners out there, don't forget, we are working this weekend, nights and weekends. You can email ltwgroup at fairwaymc.com, ltwgroup at fairwaymc.com. We always have an on-call loan officer um, watching that. And then um, y'all have a great weekend. Holler at us if we can help. Thanks, guys.